Well, as always, it's good to see you guys. It's nice to see some family here today. And I think you picked all of a doozy a week of a week to come here. If this is your first time because we're going to be studying Genesis 19, uh, 1 through 29 about Lot and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So you've got a cheery, upbeat, God bless you message this morning. I guarantee it. <laughs> but I know it is that way because we're not under that judgment. Amen. But the title of this morning's message is Take Them Out of This Place! Exclamation point. Take them out of this place. And uh, take those donuts out of this place before I eat them all. (laughs) But our study has been Genesis, God and man. God and man. We haven't done the deepest necessarily study as far as words or history. But really, I think this time through, taking a simple approach and looking at the relationship of God and man throughout Genesis. I think sometimes we read the Bible and we disassociate from it and think that it's something separate, but really it's the relationship of God with his creation with us. And if God can have a relationship with these guys, God can certainly have a relationship with you and me. And that's the point of the scripture. Is that not that we would know the Bible like the song was talking about? Oh, it wouldn't be enough to just know about you, Jesus, but it's to know him and to come to know him. That if we search the scriptures, but we haven't found him and haven't found life in him, then Well, I don't know that we've really been searching the scriptures. But as we've been through Genesis, we've seen God and Abraham a lot. The past seven chapters, actually, of God and Abraham. That was my attempt at a pun, a lot, instead of lot. It's all right. I enjoyed it. But however, we've seen a little of lot. We've seen a little of lot. Man, being a dad is great because the worse the jokes are, the better they are. But chapter 12, and we, we have at work, we're like, it's scary. I think we only communicate in puns at work. But God told Abraham to get out of his land and away from his family in chapter 12. But we see in verse 4 of chapter 12, only a few verses later, when God is done speaking, that Lot went with Abram. Abram wasn't supposed to take anyone, but Lot went with him. Abram and Lot ended up growing big. They had uh, their herds and their people, and they didn't get along. And so Abraham lets Lot choose where to go. And Lot chooses the fertile plain facing the cities. We see in Genesis 13, um, Abraham says, it's not the whole land before you. You know, if you want to go over there, go over there. If you want to go over here, go over here. I just want peace with us, Lot. You know, I don't want there anything between us. And Lot looks around and goes, oh, look at how green and lush that is. Oh, there's a city back there. Oh, yeah, I'm going that way. And so Lot chooses what he thinks is better. I think it's interesting that right after that, that's when God speaks to Abraham. As soon as Lot leaves... God speaks to Abram. It's like, you got to let this out of your life, Abram. You let him go, and then I can show you what's for you. And then, then God begins to show Abram, i got more for you than a fertile plain. I've got more for you than some wicked city. I've got the whole region, and uh, even more than that as we studied. And we find out in the next chapter what happens. War. The kings of the region begin to go out to war. They see the lush plain, and as kings like they like to do, they want to get more. And who do you think gets kidnapped? Lot. So Abram ends up gathering all his servants, he gathers all his arms, and he goes out to war and he rescues Lot. So we see already this whole theme with Lot, you know, we haven't seen too many good things come from him so far. He's only kind of been a problem for Abram. But Abram loves him. He calls him his brother. Even though he's his nephew, technically, he calls him his brother. He loves Lot. He cares for Lot. Even though Lot's doing his own thing and pursuing his own way, we know that God had a plan for Lot, but um, Lot gets in a lot of trouble. But it says, you know, it's really been evident that this land of Sodom and Gomorrah 
um, uh, was wicked from the beginning. Like we read last time, God heard the, the, the outcry come up, and that's when he came down and, and talked with Abraham, and Abraham uh, prayed, God, you know, if there's 50 in the city, 50 righteous, will you save it? God says, okay. Well, 45, 30, 20, 10. Finally at 10, God's like, if I find, if I find, like not too hopeful to find that he's going to find 10 righteous people in the city. But 1 John 3, 8, I'm quoting a lot of 1 John today, and I think you'll figure out where I've been uh, in my devotional time from that. But he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. The devil has sinned from the beginning. And I'd say that Sodom and Gomorrah, well, I think the devil will be at home there. And I wonder sometimes why people want to visit Vegas if they don't gamble. It's beyond me. Uh, you know, if you can find a way to have fun in Sin City without having sin, well then, you know, God bless you. You know, I have some friends who just traveled across the whole country and one of the places they visited was Vegas. And I guess, you know, you're traveling around, you know, his wife is from Brazil and they end up going to Vegas. Sure, they could have fun there. They don't gamble. I know them. They're, but for me, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know that I could, I'd find any fun there. But uh, I guess you can. But we need to be careful, like Lot, what we envy. Lot looked at that valley, Lot looked at that city. I think he wanted it. I know he wanted it. First John 2, 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. If we read First John, you know, like, oh, it's lovey-dovey, it's John, and then, you know, sometimes you kind of get through it. I'm not so lovey, you know. I have a hard time reading it sometimes just because it's, it's love, and it's like, oh, okay. But when you sit and read it, you go, man, these things are not of the Father, they're of the world. And if we love the world, the things of it, not that you know, we're going to be a monk and not have the things of the world, but if we love them, we desire them like Lot did, the love of the Father is, is not in us. It can't be in us. Because God doesn't love the things of the world. So if we love the world and God is love, well, we might want to question that. But sin has infected the world, I think like a disease. And as sin spreads... I think sin thinks it's getting its victory as, you know, uh, a political party by uprising or whatever begins to get victory and get, gain traction. They think they're getting the right way. Um, but it's not. You know, it, it's sad when someone begins to succumb to a disease. The disease is winning. But in the end, the disease loses because it kills the host. You know, unless it passes on and goes on to someone else. Uh, it feels like it's winning, but it, it really loses in the end. And that's the same thing with sin. When it infects people and infected the world, the only way to get rid of sin in the end is for that sin to die. But we have eternal life. We don't have to worry about that same judgment that's coming on the world. It says, these things in 1 John 5.13, I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. You know, you may know you have, the Son of, you, may know you have eternal life. That as the world begins to die and judgment begins to come, we may know that we have eternal life, that we have an escape, that we have a way out. And hopefully we're not being pushed out at the end by the angels, as we'll see here with Lot. But uh, let's read the first three verses of chapter 19 uh, together. 
Uh, before that, let's pray one more time. God, we thank you for your word, and Lord, that uh, we can believe in the name of the Son of God, and that we have eternal life, God. But God, we pray that you would open the, the scripture to us, that we'd hear from you, most importantly, God, that your words would, would uh, come through your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Nineteen verse one. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, "Here now, my lords, please turn in uh, to your servant's house and spend the night, and wash your feet, and then you may rise early and go on your way." And they said, "No, but we will spend the night in the open square." But he insisted strongly, so they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked them unleavened bread, and they ate. I'm going to stop there for right now. Uh, but here we see that these men, of the three men who visited Abram, we know one was the Lord, uh, we know that the other two were these angels. Because at the end of the last chapter, as they begin to go out and they promised uh, Sarah that she would have a son, uh, the Lord stays back and Abram pleads with them, and the other two go on. And here we see that they end up arriving in Sodom in the evening. You know, they probably left Abram's house probably mid-afternoon. They showed up in the heat of the day. They had a feast, and then they ended up leaving. Um, again, it was weird that they were walking around in the heat of the day. No one really, you know, if you're smart, you're not walking around in the heat of the day. You're taking a siesta when it's hot. Um, but where is Jesus here? You know, he left a little bit beyond them. He left Abram, uh, Abraham's house. Uh, but did he not catch up with the angels? You know, uh, did he not catch up with them? I, I have to wonder. We'll see. We'll look into it a little bit later. But um, we see that Lot was in the gates. You know, people who sat in the gates of the city were sort of the leaders of the city. You know, you, you come into New York, you see a big sign that says, Welcome to New York, Governor Andrew Cuomo. You know, you got to get your name everywhere. They got to update that sign every couple of years when they get a new governor. Uh, but he's there and he's, he's, he sees these guys coming. Um, he doesn't know that they're angels. He just sees them as people coming into the city. Um, I think he wanted to be in the gates he wanted to be there. Uh, maybe he was protecting visitors. Like I said, he didn't know they were angels or he knew that they were of God. Uh, but he knew what Sodom was like. You know, it was late in the day. It was the evening. They were coming in. And he goes, no, 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 come into my house. Don't, don't keep going down the street. Come into my house, please. You know, it says that he insisted strongly that he pressed upon them exceedingly. That, no, 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 no. Like they're trying to walk and he's just like, hey, guys, guys, come uh, come to my house. Come over. No, 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 no. You don't want to go sleep in the square. No, you don't want to go over there. You don't want to stay there. It's not safe. Um, you know, there's uh, uh, this like series on YouTube, and they look at like the, they, it's like really weird. They go and look at the worst hotel rooms in the country, and they like, they like inspect it. And uh, you know, Ashall, one of the outside, is like, oh, that kind of looks not too bad on the outside. I was like, oh no. <laughs> You know, you can kind of tell. If you, you quick look, you go, oh, the sign. No, well, the sign's off. It's old. The place hasn't been updated. The parking lot's not, you know, you begin to look a little bit closer. You go, oh, you probably don't even want to go near it. But Second Peter 2.7 says, and, uh, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. You know, that uh, later on in Second Peter, reveals that Lot, man, was vexed daily by, uh, in Hebrews 2, daily by, uh, the wickedness of the city they lived in. Yet he continued to stay there. He continued to stay there. First John 2.29 uh, If you know that he is righteous, that's Jesus, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. And First John 3.7 Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. We see that the New Testament calls Lot righteous. 
And yet, I don't know, it's, it's, we can see some things here that maybe show him practicing righteousness, but there's, there's, there's a lot of uh, hypocrisy and uh, sort of a dichotomy going on with him. But uh, we see here that he invites them in. He knows how bad the city is, guys. You can't go out there. Please, just, just come stay with me, please. And he makes them unleavened bread. He's interesting. He makes them unleavened bread. You know, what do we see? This hasn't happened yet, but later on in Exodus... After the, uh, the nine plagues, the tenth one is to come. The Israelites are supposed to put the blood over the doorpost to protect them from the judgment that's coming upon the city. And they make unleavened breads and they have their sandals and clothes on so they're ready to go in the morning. You know, unleavened bread is a sign uh, without sin. Uh, and what does he do next? He washes their feet. He wants to wash their feet. You know, as I remind you of Jesus. You know, Lot being here, being a servant, being hospitable, wanting to take these people in and care for them, especially from uh, the wicked city. You know, he didn't want, he wanted to protect them. Um, you know, again, there probably weren't necessarily hotels like we think of them, probably more like bed and breakfast. You know, when I visited Montana last year, I stayed at an Airbnb, first time I went online, and it's kind of interesting, you know, do you do this? But then you get a whole house with the price of a hotel room. You know, you kind of look around and make sure there's no cameras that you can see or anything like that, but sincerely, uh, it, was, it was a good time. Um, I think it's the same sort of thing here. It was more of a custom to bring people into your house at this time. But Romans 12, 10 through 13 says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Uh, we could probably spend all day in that verse and realize that we don't give preference to one another too often, do we? It says, Not lacking in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, and given to hospitality. As believers, we're to be given to hospitality. It doesn't mean that, you know, I don't think you're supposed to go sit at the gates of Goshen and invite people in. I mean, you could, but I think it's, man, when, when there's believers or there's people, invite them over. Invite them over. Have them over. You know, we, uh, we're moving out in a month, and uh, new tenants came to look at the house. Uh, a couple people came to look at the house because my landlord lives elsewhere, so I, I played real estate agent a couple times. It's like, I'm not a real estate agent, but I'll play one for you. But uh, one of the couples that came over, I mean, they were, all, they were all sweet. They were all nice. But they came over, and they, kept, they noticed the scripture on the wall. And the wife was like, oh, look at that. Oh, we have the same ones. And, you know, they saw our Bible and stuff. They're like, hey, you know. They began to ask, and we got, ended up having a conversation in the park, and parking lot, in the driveway for 15 minutes. Um, it's kind of a parking lot when our friends come over. But uh, then they came back. They ended up being the ones who uh, leased the house. I text my landlord. I was like, so, did you find anybody yet? And. Uh, they ended up going to another church in the area, and it was just, uh, just awesome. They came over there, and I took at the house again with their kids, and we ended up talking for almost two hours. You know, like, it was just, it was just fellowship. It was, this is it. These people, like, oh, you got to come over. We'll be, you know, it was just, you know, this is, this is a sign of being a believer, is that when you, you meet other believers, it's just, it just happens. It just clicks. Not that you're going to be friends with everybody. I don't know. You know, maybe we'll, we'll hang out with them once or twice, maybe before we leave, but maybe that'll be it, but... You know, that's it. You're know, given a hospitality. But you see, there was some sort of righteousness in Lot, even in the midst of Sodom. I think we miss that sometimes, that he was hospitable to them. Uh, he did bring them in. Uh, but I wonder, what, what's your city like? What's your town, your neighborhood, or even your home like? You know, we all have these ideas of what the city is like, bright and shining, you know, the Big Apple. I think we were talking the other day, uh, a friend was like, I don't think anyone who lives in New York City ever says, I live in the Big Apple, you know. Uh, but we have these ideas of what things are like. Uh, but what is it really like? You know, there's a scene in uh, this movie, Batman Begins, and Bruce Wayne is hanging out with his friend, and then she's like a 
prosecutor and they're driving through the city and it's all, you know, Wall Street, fancy, big buildings. And then she swerves and takes them down to the underground and goes and show them the seedy underground city, what the city's really like. And I have to wonder, you know, in the daytime, what did Sodom and Gomorrah look like? You know, was it this bright and shining city? But would you want to visit there at night? You know, there's certain places that maybe you'd go in the daytime and go, well, the sun goes down. I'm not going there. You know, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll wait till tomorrow to get uh, my milk. You know, maybe it was a, a picturesque, picturesque version of the city. Or, you know, I think sometimes even our own homes. You know, what do we think of our home to be? And then someone comes over and we go, oh, wow, it's probably dirtier than I realized. You know, I do need to pick this up and put this away. You know, I think sometimes we ignore the harsh realities in our home, <laughs> in our own lives, in our town, or even our culture, because we, we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to think about it, you know? Uh, yeah. But what about the church? Do we sometimes just ignore the harsh realities, the harsh things, the sinful things that are going on because we don't want to deal with it? I have to wonder. Matthew uh, 23, 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe and mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. You know, Lot does some things, but you see that he's left a lot undone. And the Lord would say to us, yeah, it's good, it's good that you tithe, it's good that you care about the little things of your possessions, but the weightier things, justice, faith, and mercy. You've got to do the little things, but these big things, these important things are better. You know, like, I need to go. It would be a good thing for me to change the oil on my car, but it's an even better thing for me to spend time with my son. I need to change the oil on my car, but it's better for me to change, you know, change the oil on my son, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's a good thing Ash does, does that. Otherwise, he'd be in trouble. <laughs> Let's go on. Verse 4. Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, and all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, and he shut the door behind him, and he said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. Then they said, This one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with, with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out with their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. But before they lay down, you know, it was late. But the light was still on. They hadn't quite turned in yet. And all of a sudden, what's that commotion outside? You know, maybe the window's open and they hear somebody coming. And, and all of a sudden, Lot! Hey! Who do you have in there? Bring him out. Lot should have said, get off my lawn, right, Mia? <laughs> but men, young and old, that they were all corrupt. They were all corrupt. Um, I won't go into it because there's younger ears here today. But they were all corrupt. What? And there's exactly there are even things, <laughs> even things today that go on that have older men corrupting younger men, and they try and pass it off as good. But where is the male leadership? Where are the adult men 
who are leading the city. Well, they're all here. They're all heading up this mob. You know, Titus 2, 1 through 2 says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. That the older men need to be the example for the younger men. If the younger men don't have an example, well, it's obvious. We see that. We see that in gangs. We see that in inner cities. We see that in schools. We see that even in the suburbs and nicer places when there's not a, a strong dad figure, whether it's their dad or an older brother or, you know, if there's no strong figure in their life. And yet the world would say that having a strong male figure is a bad thing. The world says today that these things are despicable. We need to get rid of them. That we need to, to get rid of masculinity. But when older men fail, so does all of society. So does even the church. When the church does not have strong male leadership, and I don't mean domineering, strong, meathead leadership, but I mean a man who's willing to stand up for what's right. A man who leads his home and takes care of his children. A man who is willing to admit when he's wrong. A man who's willing to serve the Lord even when no one else will. You know, who's going to step up? The women. And, you know, I applaud women for stepping up when a man doesn't. You know, I, I think that that's very commendable. But you know what? She shouldn't have to. And that's not chauvinistic. That's like, man, like, you've got better things to do than to do a man's job. You know, you've got better things to do than, than get the plunger out and get in the toilet. I'll handle that. You know, you've got better things to do than you get greasy and under the car. You know, I'll handle that. You know, there, there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's honoring. It's honoring a woman. It's not that they can't. It's not that they're not worthy of it. It's just, why should she have to? I'm here. That's the same thing. But you see here that they came from every quarter. And that reminds me of New Orleans. New Orleans is a city that has quarters. D.C. is kind of split up into into quarterly uh, segments. But they came from everywhere. There wasn't one part of Sodom and Gomorrah that wasn't, let's go over Lot's house and find these new guys in here. And the mob surrounds Lot's house. And that is a scary thing when the mob begins to rule, when the mob begins to march. And I would say, we're already seeing that in America, that the mob is ruling, the mob is marching. Whatever the mob is offended by, all of a sudden, we have to tear down. I'm not saying that certain things don't need to change, you know, but when the mob is the one calling the shots, uh, I'd be concerned. But they called out to Lot. They knew who Lot was. They knew who he was. They knew who his house was. They knew who was in his house. And they asked where the men were. You know, this word got around that there were visitors. Lot was just out there for a minute. Come on, come to my house. They come to his house. And word got around, hey, there's new people here. Let's go find them. Let's go get them. It's amazing how fast that word spreads sometimes. You know, uh, this prophecy in Psalm 22, 12 through 13 of Jesus on the cross, it says, Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. Uh, There's a spiritual picture here of what's going on at the cross. Um, But I think here, too, that this is, man, the enemy, even the little bit of righteousness in Lot, bringing these men in, the enemy latches on and wants to attack it and snuff it out right away. And they want to know these men carnally, you know, Rape, homosexuality. Think about prison or European cities right now that are overrun with these gangs that go around and do these things. Um, this is what's going on here. And every man, young and old, was involved in it. Except Lot. Lot goes outside. You know, I picture Lot, like they're screaming outside. They got their torches. Lot, like, opens the door quick, shuts it behind him. And uh, he calls them his brothers. 
You know, he knows them. You know, they said, who is this guy that shows up? And he goes, my brethren, my fellow people of this city, friends, countrymen, Romans, whatever. But they're not the same as Lot. And they don't think of him the same way. You know, uh, and there's a lot of hypocrisy in Lot's statement here. He says, do not do so wickedly. Very good. That's righteous. Lot sees that there's a wicked thing going on here. Don't do this wicked act. But, hey, I've got a couple daughters inside. Why don't you take them? You know, I don't know what you're thinking here, Lot. You know, do his daughters hear this? And do they really not know a man? You know, we later we see that Lot has sons-in-law. You know, were these the same daughters? Were these different daughters? You know, I, I don't know. I, I'm going to say that maybe they, maybe they didn't know a man. Maybe Lot wasn't being as, you know, forthcoming here as he should have been. You know, he comes from Abram's family, right? And Abraham had a big pension for lying and stretching the truth to, to save his own hide. But who does that? Who willingly gives their daughters over to people? Even if they aren't necessarily, you know, the the prom, you know, the prom queen, the the princess. But if we if we look a little bit into trafficking, human trafficking is such a politically correct term. I'm just being gentle with the children here. But a lot of it is parents selling their children. You know, I watched a thing yesterday from a, a group that we're involved with that a girl whose their house burned down. They lived in a rough neighborhood. And her mom sold her into slavery when she was nine for whatever this man wanted. And she was rescued a year later. The cops came to her house and arrested her mom. You know, a lot of times we think it's just kidnapping. Yeah, it is kidnapping. Yeah, it's, you go somewhere else and you get taken. But a lot of times it's people willingly, especially in this country, turn over their daughters. They don't have any value other than this. And that one of the beautiful things she says that she's, you know, when she was taken in by uh, this ministry who has a house and a church and you know this whole covers every every aspect of it but she said she felt at home she was finally knew that she was a princess that she was God's princess and that she had worth even though her culture told her she was worthless but Lot says to them don't do this this is why I brought these guys in here don't be so wicked like that's the whole reason why I've got the door shut. Why I, brought, I didn't let them sleep in the city. I have to wonder if, you know, if Lot was inside getting a snack when these guys showed up, what, how this would have gone down in the, in the square if these guys were in the square. You know, I have to think this would have been like you know, Monday Night Raw, some sort of like wrestling match. These guys all come in and these guys are just flicking them left and right like no problem. You know, like you're not gonna, you know, I don't know. I think it was, in my mind, I'm, I'm excited. That probably would have been an interesting action scene in a movie. But they, they don't think of Lot as their brother. They call him this one. You know, this guy. He was in the plane. He saw his city. He sold his cattle. He sold his, his stuff. So he could come have an apartment here with us. And he keeps pretending he's our judge. I don't know that Lot had a place in the, in the county seat, but he sat in the gates. He keeps telling them that their stuff is wicked. No, no, don't do that. That's wicked. And I think that a lot of times we'll find oppression like that when we're in the world and trying to be like the world, when we try and tell them, you're wicked, and they go, what are you doing here? Who are you? You don't have a relationship with us. You're doing the same, almost the same stuff as we are. I remember before I got saved and trying to like witness someone, and they're like, you and me were just doing that thing over there. How can you say? And it was like God, like, 
and I'm getting saved a couple days later, like God used it to rebuke the wicked. To the other wicked, because I was wicked. But it says that the mob pressed him. Just like he pressed the angels to come in, now the mob was pressing on him. That there was no middle ground in this society. It was one way or the other way. There was no uh, talking it out anymore. And it says that the angels reached out and they pulled Lot in through the door. You know, I picture like the door creaks and a little arm comes out and pulls Lot in and shuts the door while the mob kind of goes after them. And it says that they strike the men with blindness. I think, you know, we take that, we understand that, but think about this. These angels are from God. They came down to judge the city and they have power to blind people from God. From God. We see some things like that in Acts go on. You know, it's not a stretch to think that a fallen angel can spiritually blind someone. That these angels who are doing good will physically blind someone. You know, I think we could sit on that for a while, but we're going to uh, move on. It says that these men became weary trying to find the door. Imagine that. These guys out there just wanting to do absolute wickedness here to these visitors. They don't even know they're angels, but they are. You know, uh, they get struck by blindness by these guys. All of a sudden, none of the men surrounding the house can see a thing. Do they stop and go, oh, we're blind. What are we doing? Help me get home. Help me see. They know. It says they get tired and weary and worn out trying to find the door. They don't give up. They are so intent on their sin. They are so overcome with wickedness that they just are trying to find the doorknob and they can't find it. Thankfully. Reminds me of those zombie movies. Hurry, get in. They shut the door. And they're clawing at the door and they can't get in. They don't, you know, they don't know how to use their thumb and they can't open the door. You know, and that's what these guys were. And guys, sin will make you a zombie. You'll be blind clawing about, growing weary, trying to find the thing you want to do that's so wicked and doesn't get you anywhere. Except laying on the curb outside someone's house. Uh, we all went to high school. But you're not going to be fulfilled by these things. It's just going to make you blind. You know, God may even strike you blind in the midst of your sin to prevent you from getting that thing that you want so bad. But let's go on. Verse 12, it says, Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, the men being the angels, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had uh, married his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But to the sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. And when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed with the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, and the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass, when they brought them outside, that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. We'll stop there. They bring Lot inside. They say, Lot, now's the time. Let's get going. No more playing around. You know, the mob is outside. The time of judgment is at hand. And they say, quick, Lot, who else do you have? Do you have any more family in the city? Do you have sons-in-laws? Do you have family? Do you have friends? Is there... You know, they were, they were willing to save anyone that Lot would get to come with them. 
If Locke could go out and find anyone, go down to the gas station, convince the guy at the gas station to come with them, he would have been saved. A lot like Noah. When Noah built the ark, his family was saved. No one else was saved because everyone else mocked. The mob ended up beating on the door after the door was closed and the flood came, right? He said, and his friends, whomever, whomever he could find. John 3.16, For God's love the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. A lot of people look at the Old Testament and see the judgments of God come in, in fashion like this and go, oh, how can a loving God do that? Well, a loving God gave the people the way out. A loving God came down and wanted to see for himself how wicked the city was and gave people a chance before he brought judgment. If he wasn't loving, he would just wipe down the city from heaven and press the, you know, flip the toggle, press the red button, and <laughs> Sodom and Gomorrah would be gone. And he would have gotten back to doing whatever he was doing. But no, God gets, comes down and sees for himself and gives people a chance to get out. He sends his ministers to get them out. Hmm. Is that not like the Lord coming down to earth, proclaiming the gospel, dying on a cross, taking our judgment, and then telling his disciples what? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Be ready because I'm coming at any moment. Is that not the same here? Except the angels have been replaced with us. They said, the Lord sent us to destroy it. You know, when did he do that? <laughs> was it when they left heaven? You know, did he know all along? You know, God is omniscient. He knows these things. Was it when they went on ahead from Abraham's house? You know, when God said, am I even going to hide this from Abraham, what I'm here to do? You know, God already knew, but in some way, I think God wanted there to be a reason not to judge the city. Just like he wanted there to be a reason not to judge us. He sent his son. But it was already too late for Sodom and Gomorrah. It was too late. These guys were given over completely to wickedness. There would not be any repenting in this day and age. But it says that Lot went out. You know, his sons-in-law were either outside. Maybe they were part of the blind guys worn out on the curb. He told them, come on, get up. We've got to go. Um, maybe they're at their own homes. You know, but if all the men in the city were there, does that mean Lot's sons-in-law were there too? But it says that, you know, they thought he was joking. That when he tried to convince them, they just thought it was a joke. You know, I remember being in Florida when I was a kid and a hurricane was coming. And you guys had to wake me up and we had to drive and, and leave town because our friend came and told us that we had to leave because we lived near the water. You know, imagine that. You know, tell someone, hey, the house is on fire. Oh, he's joking. You know, he's just joking. Man, Lot's faith was just a joke to them. Probably would have been a joke to them anyway because they were wicked. You know, people who are wicked are going to find your faith a joke. But I have to wonder if Lot gave them any fodder for that joke. If Lot's hip, hip, hypocritical life gave them reason to think that it was a joke. That when Lot comes in pleading and crying, please, come on, get out. They don't believe it. You know, it's like a lot of us when we get saved, we begin to plead with our friends to, to come to the Lord. They, last week, we were doing the same wickedness they were. And then all of a sudden, something happened over the weekend, so to speak. And now... We want them to flee the judgment. They, they don't necessarily buy it right away. I think also they might even think that could never even happen here. Do we not say that? Oh, that'll never happen here. We live in our bubble. Oh, that'll never, I'll never need that. You'll never need that. Why do you need that? You, shouldn't, you should take those away. That should be outlawed. Why do you worry about these things? Even the government will tell you you've got to have at least three weeks worth of supplies at your house. You know, look at Katrina. Look at all these disasters that happened on cities and regions. And people are like, why is no one here to save us? Well, you had how many days to go to the supermarket and at least get a couple extra graham crackers to last you the week? You didn't. 
you were just went about your life thinking that, oh, it'll never happen. Judgment will never happen here. I'm not saying that a storm or Katrina was God's judgment. Might have been. I'm not saying it was, but in the same sense, we need to be realistic about uh, the reality that we live in. You know, that the world is, is, is a harsh place that we talked about many times about getting a peek through the bubble of what we live in. You know, we need to be wary of joking of a cavalier attitude towards judgment coming upon a place, especially when it's your own place. You know, they say check your uh, uh, smoke detectors for batteries and things like that every year because, you know, it'll never happen. Well, maybe, hopefully, but it happens. So what makes you better than it happening there? Uh, you know, we think, uh, you know, there's... Uh, you know, why do, why do you, have, like, for instance, like having a firearm. Why do you have a firearm? Uh, do you think you're just going to get robbed? No, I, I hope not, but it's not beyond it happening. And if it does happen, if someone does come into the house at night, I'd rather have it than not have it. I hope I never need it, though. And with that, we think America will never be judged. It can't happen here. Oh, we have churches. God's here. We can't be judged. I'm not saying these are his judgments, but you have to think. We didn't think it could happen. Pearl Harbor. We didn't think it could happen. 9-11. And there's all theories on these things, but gun-free zones. Like, that's going to stop anything. Like, putting up a sign that says, don't do wickedness. Never stopped anyone. No. Judgment stops it at some point. When wickedness is super bad, that's the only thing that's going to judge it. When someone is so wicked that they're just bent on killing you, there's only one thing that's going to stop them from killing you guys. That's not a hug. I mean, try it. You know, it, I wouldn't want to hug some guy with a knife. I mean, Say, don't let judgment be the first thing necessarily. You know, there are other options before that, but at some point, judgment is it. But verse 15 says, when the morning dawned, you know, this had taken all night uh, from all this going on to coming in there to trying to get his sons-in-law going. Uh, Maybe they haven't even begun to lay down again. Maybe Lot fell asleep on the couch when they said, you know, come on, Lot, let's go. Uh, But he says, arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Uh, you know, these are the two dollars that are there. Maybe you had other dollars, but uh, I get the impression these, this is it. There's no more time to rescue anyone else because they wouldn't come. They wouldn't come there. Um, so they say, just take who's here. Whoever's in your house right now, get outside, run, and go. Come on, it's time now. This is, it's over. It's going to happen right now. And they say, lest you be consumed in the city's punishment. Like, the city's punishment is coming. If you don't get out of here, you're going to get punished for something that God does not want you to be punished for. And there's times we need to get out of situations. We need to get out of Dodge and not try and be some martyr and stay there. We need, just need to go. But the whole city deserved what was coming. But there was still grace and mercy right there that they were giving anyone to listen a way out. But not even Lot's family would listen. Lot would barely even listen. He's like, uh, you know, really, right now? I haven't made my coffee yet. <laughs> uh, you know, that's why God told them in Exodus, get your shoes on the whole night. Pack a bag, because we're going right away. You know, uh, We try and have a, a bag packed for emergencies just in case. Because you never know, if there's a fire at the house one night or the power goes out in a snowstorm, you're not going to be looking around for pack some clothes for the kids. You know, Just have a bag ready to go. But it says that even Lot lingered. Dude, two angels are telling you that they're going to bring judgment on the city and you're dragging your feet? Like, what else is it going to take for you to really get some traction here? I think that shows the, the pull of sin and of Sodom on Lot's life. Even though he had a little bit of righteousness, the pull of the unrighteousness was much larger. And that's, that's the deception. That's the blindness in our life that, oh, if I just have a little bit of this unrighteousness in my life, it doesn't really affect it. My, my righteousness outweighs it. But it doesn't. Because that little bit of unrighteousness 
will pull you away from righteousness, will prevent you from doing the righteous thing, even when an angel's telling you to do it. Like, it's one thing if I'm sharing the gospel with you, you know, I can understand if you don't listen to that. But man, if an angel shows up, an angel comes in here, oh, you know, uh, don't be afraid, <laughs> but get out of here. You know, a meteor's going to land on it. I, I would get out. I would get out because there's some guy bright and shining in here and I want to get out of here, but sincerely, you know. Matthew 24, 15 through 22, Jesus talks about um, the end times when the Antichrist stands in the, in the temple. And he says, you know, if you're in the field, don't go home. Get out. You know, I hope you're not pregnant during that season because it's going to be awful. Just pray that it's in nice weather. You know, we're moving across country and we're going uh, in May. I'm hoping that there's no tornadoes as we get out there. <laughs> but I don't think there will be. But sincerely, you know, that's what I'm kind of thinking. I want to go when it's nice. But he says, run, go to the mountain. Don't stay here in the plains. Don't look back. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be all-consuming. And if you even linger for a minute, you're going to be toast a lot. You know, I think about when uh, they would drop a nuclear bomb from uh, a bomber aircraft. The aircraft would carry this huge bomb. The bomb would have a parachute on it. And then the aircraft would have to like, give it time to fly away. They didn't like, put a parachute on the bomb so that the bomb would fly better. They gave it so that the pilots could get out of the blast radius. You know, and even the newer ones, they would put blast shields down so they're not blinded by it and all these things. They had to get away from it. And I think uh, even uh, when Russia dropped, tested the largest bomb, the SAR bomb, at 50 megatons, you look it up, it's crazy. Like, they weren't even sure if the bomber was going to get away. It was like, this thing is going to get roasted. But that's the same he thing here. They're like, we're giving you five more minutes. Like, you have to go now. You know, you have to be outside the blast radius of what's going on here. Let's go on. Uh, I don't want to keep you too long. 18 says, uh, Then Lot said to them, Please know my lords. Lot, man. Indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape from the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. Can you not hear like his little accent and bargaining going on? And he said to them, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow the city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. You know, the Lot still doesn't get it. They tell him to get out, get to the mountains, get up on high ground. You know, you see those videos of the tsunami coming into Japan. Everyone's running for higher ground. And then it's like, it's frightening. You know, you expect this big wave, but it's just this push of the ocean. That's not going to stop for anything. And you have to get to the high ground. But he says, I don't want to go to the mountains. What, uh, what, something, ba something bad's going to happen to me up there. Wild animal's going to eat me. Uh, maybe he remembers when the kings, when they kidnapped him. A lot of the kings flooded the mountains. Maybe he's afraid some of those gangsters are still up there, you know, and they're going to find him. I don't know. Um, he, maybe he's just such a city boy. Now he doesn't know how to be self-reliant anymore. Lot used to have all these things. He used to be, uh, it's interesting, he used to live, come from the land of Ur, the Chaldees. And what were they? They were nomads who had camps and moved camp and moved camp. And now a lot, like, he just wants to be in a city. He can't, like, he knows how to do these things. But he's obviously, he just doesn't get the severity of this judgment. You know, come on, Lot, just go to the mountains. Just for a night. You can just camp for one night and come back and find a place to live that's not in the mountains. But you don't want to be here. You know, don't worry about what you're going to do later, Lot. There's no time to think about that right now. Just need to go. You know, I say that's like what kills people. They're worried about later when there's a judgment happening, when the house on fire. They're worried about 
you end up grabbing the wrong things when a ship is sinking. They, they tell you don't bring anything because you, or an uh, airplane or anything because you're going to be worried about the wrong things and you're going to be holding your suitcase while the thing sinks. But he says, let me go to the city. It's just a little one. It's just a, just a little city, guys, please. You know, you don't have to destroy that one. Let me go there. Come on. You know, he's got that bargaining spirit. And, uh, but they said that all cities of the plain were going to be destroyed, but they ended up sparing this little city, Zoar, for Lot's sake. You know, if I were one of those angels, I'd say, Lot, give me a break. Run. I, <laughs> do it now. Stop caring about where you're going to get your coffee tomorrow. Stop caring who you're, about, who you're going to hang out with, what your job's going to be, if you're going to be a leader in a city anymore. Get out, Lot. We laugh, but don't we do the same? Isn't this world about to be judged at any moment when Jesus returns? I'm not saying sell everything, and, or any, you know what I mean? But sincerely, I think the more time goes on, the more you realize, maybe I should just sell everything. Maybe I should just go to that country or that place and, and do the gospel because Jesus could come back tomorrow and this place can be judged and I'm not going to bring that thing with me anyway. I think sometimes we worry too much. But Lot, hurry up. I can't do anything until you get there. God said, I have to just do, I have to do my job. It's almost starting time and you're not there yet. I can't do it until you get there. Get there. I don't, I don't need a lateness on my report card. But I think at least the angels were bringing judgment while people were sleeping. And I think that that's mercy in number one. God said, hey, they're sleeping. I'm just going to wipe them out while they're sleeping. I think number two, uh, and so people wouldn't flee. You know, you don't want these angels chasing everybody around. But sincerely, God wanted to get over with, cut it, and do it clean, just like with the judgment in Exodus when the angel of death came at night and killed the firstborn. You know, I think to wake up and find something bad happen is better than to see there and witness it happen. But the city Zoar, uh, the name actually means insignificance. You know, a lot was like, see this little insignificant town? Let me stay there. Uh, it was a city at the southeast end of the Dead Sea. Uh, it was supposed to be uh, the whole region. You know, we think of Sodom and Gomorrah as one city, but it's multiple, it's multiple cities in the region. The whole region was influenced. And essentially, you know, a, a city has such influence over a region, you know, it, it, the judgment extends. It's not just within the city limits. But it says that the sun was up by the time that Lot got there. You know, saving a Lot was a real pain. He dragged his feet. You know, they came there the night before to get Lot out. He could have had all night. He could have went out, had some s'mores in the woods with his daughters and his family, had, a, had gone to bed early, woken up, and, you know, hey, yeah, I'll go find a new place to live now. But he was running, and he was being singed. And it meant judgment took place now when people were awake. The delay came until the sun was up. People are getting up, God bless you, going out about their morning business, and now judgment comes, and it's more of a, a horrifying experience for them. And it's a serious in a serious disaster, they say that being near a city is the worst place you can be. I mean, think about it. If you're in a large city and something happens, there's all these people there. What's going to happen? I remember after 9-11, all these people trying to walk out of the city. You know, how are you going to get home? What are you going to do? You know, like, if I'm down there and an EMP goes off, how am I going to get home? You know, I remember saying to Ash, like, if something ever happens, you know, wait a certain amount of time for me to walk home and then begin your journey. You know, like, if I don't make it, you know, like, we have plans to meet up because... Yeah, it's crazy, but at least we had a discussion. That way, if an off chance that something ever did happen, we'd have a plan because I'd hate for it to happen. And then go, oh, no, where is she? At least you know. At least you know there's a way. But, man, if something happens, you know, now, how many days is it before the, the supermarket doesn't have any food in it? Probably not much. I mean, look what happens when a snowstorm comes. It's snow. <laughs> Imagine if there's no trucks to refill that store. How quickly are riots going to happen? I mean, just look at places that 
these things have happened. They've been able to get aid in there. It's like, you want to get out of Dodge before it happens. Let's go on, verse 24. It says, uh, Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from, uh, from the Lord out of... Uh, sorry, I lost my place. Out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became the pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. He saw, and behold, the smoke of the land, which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. And when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt, said, Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire from heaven. You know, two things I see there. It was the Lord who did it. And it was from heaven. You know, maybe it could have been a natural disaster, but I, I get the impression that this was, you know, judgment from God. You know, in the last times, it says that the bold judgments, the bowls are poured out in heaven upon the earth. You know, what's in these bowls of incense? Smoking coals, right? Brimstone or sulfur. You know, what does the lake of fire of judgment last day smell like? Sulfur. Stenchy, like that volcanic smell. Uh, it's a word that's also used for God's or judgment, but also for Jehovah's breath. You know, that out of God's mouth uh, comes this flame of fire. But fire and flame, supernatural fire, as we see in the theophany, like the burning bush, right? Um, but also God's anger. That God gets angry about sin and wickedness, and rightfully so. I mean, it's, when you really sit back and think about wickedness, you go, that should make you angry. Now, be angry and don't sin, but this, it, wickedness is nothing to be played with. You know, like I said, it could have been a volcanic eruption. You know, God does use the natural. Again, this is judgment straight from heaven. He sent angels down here. It wasn't just a happenstance that, oh, we live in a fallen world and there's the Pacific Rim of fire and a, volcan a volcano happened, but it was God's judgment. Um, you know, David Guzik mentions in the commentary that many of these cities can be buried under the Dead Sea. You know, it's a testament to God. Um, again, this area was uh, unbelievably beautiful and productive before the judgment. Again, we think, oh, we've got everything going well. It's beautiful. It's productive. Land of the free home and the brave. Nothing can happen here. But a lot of times we get complacent. We get wicked when we have abundance. You know, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, they saw this, this, this region. You know, they saw Abraham. They saw Melchizedek. They saw Abraham tied. The king of Sodom was rescued himself through Abraham, and yet... You know, that's why Abram said, I don't want anything to do with you. <laughs> you know? But we see that Lot's wife, she doesn't get a name here. And she looks back behind him. I always pictured him, her looking back. But if you read it, it says looks back behind him. Was Lot behind them? Come on, let's go, come on. Faster, we have to go. They said go. And she kind of like looks back and turns into a pillar of salt. You know, it's powder. The word is powder, pulverized. You know, I'm not saying it was a nuclear blast, but think of a nuclear blast happening. Whole, the heat wave turns your whole body into ash. Um, you know, the commentary talks about it being a unique judgment of God on, on, on her for the state of her heart, and I believe that to be true. But I also have to wonder if they didn't make it outside the blast radius in time, so to speak. They got the Zoar and the judgment came, but if this happened, God is sparing them, you know. God is sparing them, and she looked back, turned to ash. Think about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And they didn't even smell like smoke when they came out because God was with them. But imagine if one of them lost faith in the middle of that fire. I think they would have, you know, maybe have turned to uh, ash there. 
But it says that at dawn, Abraham went out where he and the Lord had talked about saving Sodom. You know, the day before, when he had walked them off his property and was pleading with the Lord, will you save them? Because Abraham knew Lot was there. And what does he do the next morning? He gets up and he goes out to that place again. You know, we've been seeking the Lord for something. We need to go back to that place and visit that place and see that he might answer us from there. But what does he do when he goes out there? He sees the smoke billowing up, like it says, like out of a furnace. The whole area, black smoke, whole valley rising up. You know, I grew up in northern New Jersey, and there's a spot on Route 17 as you get over in Saddle River where you can see the skyline of New York City. You used to be able to see the Twin Towers there. You used to be able to see smoke from there after 9-11. place on my college campus, you could see the smoke rise up from the, one of the dormitories. I had friends who went to school across the river from there. And, you know, it was the skyline. You see it. And I get that impression that that's similar to what Abraham saw. He gets out there, and he's grieved. There's destruction. I wonder if he wonders, man, did God hear my prayer? There, weren't, there obviously weren't ten righteous there. They saved Lot, but what do we see the Scripture says? The Scripture says that God remembered Abraham. It doesn't say that God remembered Lot. You know, even though Lot had some righteousness to him, Lot was saved because Abraham sought the Lord for him. Because Abraham had faith. Because Abraham cared. You know, his two daughters as well. His wife would have been. Anyone else would have been. Anyone else who was saved could have been saved that day. Because Abraham sought the Lord. And man, judgment is coming, guys. And I don't mean this to be like a, a downer, hard message, but it, I think sometimes we need to step back and take the veil off. You know, take that lid off of that thing in the fridge that's been in there forever and realize, oh, I need to toss it. You know, same thing with judgment, man. Like, I'm not telling you to be a prepper. You don't have to be, but sincerely, we need to prepare for judgment. And are you ready for God's judgment? If God were to come back today, would. Would you be ready or would you be ashamed? I, I think, I pray and I hope that we all would be ready. But only God knows. I can only see the outside. God knows. Even if you have some measure of faith, some measure of righteousness, are you going to be in the city when it's torched? I hope not. You know, judgment's going to come. You know, rapture may happen tomorrow, may happen today, may happen 100 years from now. That doesn't mean that God's judgment is going to come to America first. And good. I mean, we need to live in that reality, but even more so, we need to live in the reality that God's coming at any moment. Are we living the way we should? And more importantly, are we praying for those who, who we know aren't or who we're not so sure about? So God, as, as we close this morning, God, we lift up those who I'm sure we could think about have a moment, Lord, that, Lord, if we're not sure where we're going, God, will we get right with you? Would you, we, you deal with the sin in our lives that, God, we might flee wickedness not dabble in it, not offer some other wickedness in its place, not play around with it anymore, God, but fully repent of it, to repent and turn and run away from it like we should, God, by your Spirit. But God, for those who we know that don't have that luxury or we're not sure where they are, they've backslidden or they're living in the world, God, uh, would you save them? Would you get them out, God, even if, even if they don't come to faith right away, but God, would they come to faith? Would they be spared your judgment? Because God, you don't want anyone. You say, whomsoever believes in you. Whosoever believes in you will be saved, God. Lord, we look to you, God. So, God, we pray that you would come soon, not because we want to see fire and brimstone held down, but we want to see your kingdom on earth. So come soon, we pray. But before then, Lord, would you uh, bring more people to you, bring many more to you, God, through us, we pray. And, and uh, God, if there's a situation in our lives we need to get out of, we need to flee to, God, would you uh, bring us there, we pray, and, and help us not delay uh, when you call. And we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.